And I suppose the Jews in the Old Testament era would be tempted to think the same way of those polytheistic Gentiles, those who worshiped the multiplicity of God, who rejected what was known and made known to man, that there was only one God and they suppressed it and they worshiped idols. It would be easy for them to think it's impossible for these Gentiles ever to come to genuine faith. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Book of Romans, we come today to the last part of the national section dealing with the nation Israel. The national section is composed of chapters 9, 10, and 11. As we move into verse 23 of chapter 11 in a message entitled, The Beginning of the End, The Apostle Paul continues his allegory of the olive tree and looks at how the nation Israel will once again be grafted into that tree, meaning Israel will return to God and believe in the Messiah. Take your Bibles this morning, would you? Romans chapter 11, as we continue to study the land and the people of Israel. We've been working our way through Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And right now we're in the national section of the book of Romans, Romans 9 through 11. And Israel is so important to God's prophetic calendar because just as he used the Jewish people to bring about the first coming of Christ, he's going to use the Jewish people to bring about the second coming of Christ. They live on a piece of property that's not much bigger than New Jersey. They only number approximately, and this is generous, 15 million 15 million people out of 7 plus billion people on the earth, and yet they are the focus of history and they are the focus of current events. God has a plan for Israel and he's going to complete the drama of the ages through this people. Let's begin by reading our passage where we left off. We're in Romans 11, beginning now in verse 23, follow along, and they also... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers." For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
what we say in this country about real estate is true of the Bible. We say there are three keys to real estate, location, location, location. And the same could be said of understanding the Scripture. Context, context, context. We must understand the context in which the passage is given if we are to rightly understand it and apply it. So here in Romans 9 through 11, God is dealing with the people of Israel. We saw in Romans 9 how God selected Israel, how God elected Israel out of all the nations of the world to bring Messiah. They are his chosen nation to bring about the prophecies of the Old Testament. But we saw in the 10th chapter that when Messiah came, when the Lord Jesus came, they rejected Jesus. They were in unbelief, and we saw why they were in unbelief. And when we come to the 11th chapter, Paul is explaining to us that in light of their past election and in spite of their current rejection, there is going to be a future restoration. God is going to bring Israel to genuine faith because God is not finished with the Jews yet. That's why I told you, if you really understand the 11th chapter before we're finished, you'll read the headlines in a whole new way. The only people really in the world who can understand current events and what is really happening in the world are those who know their Bible. Now remember, this chapter divides into two halves, and Paul is asking and answering the question, what is Israel's current status? The first half of the chapter is introduced with a question. Notice verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And Paul's short answer is absolutely not. May it never be. But then he gives four proofs to show that God could not possibly have cast off and abandoned Israel. We looked at his personal proof. We looked at his theological proof. We looked at his historical proof and his visual proof in the first 10 verses. So in essence, the message of verses 1 through 10 is God could not have possibly rejected Israel because if he had, there would be no Jews for Jesus, and yet there were, even in Paul's day, a remnant, tens of thousands of Jews who believed. So clearly God has not rejected his people. The second half of the chapter also begins with a question in verse 11. Notice, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Did they fall in such a way that they had an irrevocable fall? And he will show, no, their belief is only temporary. That they will indeed, as he will show us this morning, come to acknowledge Jesus as their personal Savior. And so we're learning that the theme of this chapter is that their rejection of Jesus is neither total nor final. That God had an Israelite remnant in the past, and he has a future coming Israelite recovery in the future that will lead to the great blessing of people all across their world. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? But by their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And so we saw Paul's pattern in the book of Acts was to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But there came a time in the Apostle Paul's ministry where the Jew had had ample opportunity to hear and for the most part as a nation, they rejected Jesus. And so the focus of his life became on winning non-Jewish people, what the Bible refers to as Gentiles. And so he reasons here in verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Don't miss the significance of that verse or you won't get what we're going into today. That's why I'm walking us into the context. 
If the Jews' rejection of the Lord Jesus actually brought great blessing to the Gentiles, then how much more will their acceptance of the Lord Jesus bring great blessing to the world? It will. And so he says in verse 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? There's going to be a time of super blessing that will come upon the world. Like life from the dead, he is referring to a spiritual rejuvenation. And so we'll see today there's a future time in human history when the Jewish people will believe Jesus is Lord. They will confess him as such, the one on whom they looked, the one on whom they pierced, Zechariah said, they will believe. And it will bring the Lord Jesus back from heaven and a time of blessing upon the whole world in the millennial kingdom of Christ. Then if you remember in verse 16, the Apostle Paul further showed us how with two word pictures or two metaphors that God will pull this off. One is taken from the ceremonial religious life. The other is taken from the agricultural farming life of Israel. Two world word pictures to illustrate that God is going to bring the return of the Jews to Jesus in such a way that it's going to affect the whole world. Look at verse 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. The reference we saw last time to the lump on the dough goes back to an Old Testament command that God gave to the Jewish people. Do you remember, for instance, the Feast of First Fruits? There was a time when the first fruits, when the early harvest came in, when the Jews were instructed to bring a single sheaf along with a bundle of sheaves to the priest. The single sheaf, of course, was a picture as in all of the Old Testament feasts. They all pictured in some way the Lord Jesus for the scriptures speak of him. The single sheaf, Paul tells us in the New Testament, in first fruits was Jesus risen from the dead. And the bundle would be that initial uh, group of saints who would be resurrected after his resurrection. And so Matthew records immediately after Jesus rose, there was a handful of Old Testament saints who were also resurrected and brought up into heaven. And they were a foreshadowing of the coming harvest. And so when a Jew came and he dedicated the first fruits to the Lord, he was saying, God, this came from your hand. And it is a picture of the harvest that is yet to come. In the same way, they were instructed after they harvested the food and they made the food that they were to take a single lump of dough, as Numbers 15 instructed, after it was cooked, and they made it as an offering to the Lord with the same idea. God, this piece of dough came from your hands. You provided our daily bread. And as we acknowledge it with this piece of dough, we acknowledge that it all comes from your hand. And it's, again, not a concept that's totally foreign to us today because under the new covenant, God's people still tithe because tithing was commenced ever before the Mosaic law. Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Jesus commended it. We are not to cancel it. And so when we bring a tenth to the local church where the tithe belongs, we're acknowledging that it is all God's that it is all his, and someday we'll give an account for all 100%. And so he gives this first illustration, the first piece of dough is holy. We saw the first piece of dough represented the founders of the nation to whom God had set apart and made some promises, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
In the first piece, what was true of them is true of the whole nation. And then he gives a second picture that's not related to baking, but to gardening. Notice, and if the root is holy, the branches are too. If the root, which we saw pictured Israel, is holy, then the branches that come out of that root are holy as well. And then we finished last time in verses 17 to 21 with a warning to Gentiles. And we would do well because 99.999% of the people listening today are Gentiles. And we would do well to heed that warning. And then he finishes, if you remember, with an allegory. An allegory is a symbolic story that has a deeper meaning behind it. Examples of allegory are things like Pilgrim's Progress or Moby Dick or animal farm that we're familiar with in our day. And so God gives an allegory based on the olive tree. And God gave emblems in the Old Testament to picture Israel. He gave them as an olive tree. He gave them as a vine. He gave them as a fig tree. And one of the emblems for Israel is that of an olive tree. And so Jeremiah says, the Lord called your name a green olive tree, beautiful in fruit and form. And so let's briefly review the analogy that he gave as he steps through this allegory. But if some of the branches were broken off, again, the branches of the Jewish people who came out of the root, just like the first lump of dough represented the whole, the Jewish people, God has always had his remnant. But just as those branches that rejected the Lord Jesus were broken off, let's read the whole verse, but if some of the branches were broken off in you, now he's talking about us Gentiles, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them, that is among the remnant of Jewish Christians, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. That's the warning to us. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Don't get boastful. Now that you are in the majority and the Jews are in the minority, now that you are being used of God to lead in his ways and they are just a small group of people, don't get boastful because they support us. Salvation comes from the Jew. Verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. God is reminding us that we are not superior to them. They are out because of their unbelief. We are in because of the grace of God. So Paul warns us again in verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, that is the Jews, he will not spare you either. That is us Gentiles. Now listen to verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, unbelieving Jews, severity. But to you, Gentiles who believe in Jesus, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now we saw last time that verse 22 was not teaching that we can be cut off in such a way as to lose our salvation. That is to miss the point of the allegory and is to miss the point of the whole teaching of Romans. He has underscored more than any other book in all the New Testament our eternal security that once we are saved, we are saved forever. Remember, Paul is not speaking of the Jewish people individually in this allegory, but collectively. Likewise, he's not speaking of the Gentile individually, but collectively. And so there's a plain warning here. Don't be arrogant. 
Don't be conceited, but fear. And unfortunately, there have been times in the history of the church when God's people have been arrogant and in their pride, they stumbled in the next generation. It was absolutely grave and disastrous. Now, that's the context. Now, I want to tell you today what we're stepping into is not an easy passage of Scripture. And this is one of those passages that if I were a pastor who just wanted to preach the highlights of the Bible and the easy parts, I would definitely skip this. This is one of the harder sections of the book of Romans. Sometimes a passage of Scripture, I can teach a new Christian their numbers if we want to put it in mathematical terms and other people how to multiply and divide and others algebra and trigonometry and calculus. This passage is filled with trig and calculus. So pay attention, but there's something here for all of us if we will listen to God this morning. So there in your note-taking outline, he begins in verse 23 by showing us that it is, the power, it is in the power of God to restore Israel. It's in God's power to restore Israel because he is a God of might and power. Look now, if you will, at verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And they also, going back to the Jewish nation in their unbelief and their rejection of Jesus, if they don't continue in their unbelief, God gives a promise, a future restoration. They will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. There is coming a time, as we will see in the verses that follow, when the Jewish people as a whole is going to believe on the Lord Jesus and God's going to graft them in again. Now, God is sovereign in the affairs of men and nations. And there are people in our day who read this whole section of Scripture and they spiritualize it. Some of our dear brothers in the Reformed faith, they call themselves Reformed or sometimes they use the term replacement theology. And what they mean by that is that the church has taken the place of Israel. And so when they read this section of Scripture, they don't apply the plain reading of Scripture. They tend to spiritualize it. They say, well, the olive tree is the church, that the church has replaced Israel. This thought came from Augustine, the Roman Catholic Church capitalized off of it, and then those who came out of Catholicism like Luther and Calvin continued the idea. And so there are Reformed theologians today who find the church in the Old Testament. It wasn't in the Old Testament. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church began on the day of Pentecost. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. But in Reformed theology, they've relegated Israel to the dustpan of God's service. They say God's done with Israel, that we are the new improved Israel, so to speak. And then there are some who read this portion of Scripture. They're very much of a small minority, but I mention them because we have exposure to them even in our own community, who say that when uh, you become a Christian, you become a Jew. And so they would affirm that, yes, the olive tree here is the nation of Israel, but when you as a Gentile become a believer in Jesus, then God gives you a Jewish heart. And so many years ago, in the mid-90s, we had a concert here, and a whole congregation of Christians came in wearing their yarmulkes because they believed that they were Jewish. That's not what the Bible teaches, and any serious study of Scripture will not bring you to that conclusion. If you take a pear branch 
and you graft it into an apple tree, as some farmers have done, it doesn't produce apples. It still produces pears. And whether you are a Jew who believes in Jesus or from one of the thousands of Gentile nations who believe in Jesus, you still are what you are. You're either a Jew for Jesus, you're a Gentile for Jesus. And so the balanced biblical historical view that the early church fathers taught is that God has not abandoned the people of Israel, that God still has a plan for Israel. And again, we looked very carefully at those four proofs in the first 10 verses that God has not rejected his people Israel. And of course, this is precisely what the Old Testament taught. The fact that Israel would reject their Messiah was foreseen in the Old Testament. But the fact that God would later restore them was also prophesied. In Jeremiah chapter 33, the prophet lived in a day when the Gentile nations around Israel mocked the Jewish people. They said, your God doesn't love you. He hates you. He has abandoned you. And they, of course, had witnessed the severe discipline of the Jewish people by God. But God's discipline is not a mark of his hate. It's a mark of his love. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so listen to what some of the pagans said in Jeremiah 33, 24. Have you not observed what the people, referring to the heathens around them, have you not observed what the people have spoken, saying the two families meaning the ten northern tribes, Israel, the two southern tribes, Judah, the two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them. Thus they despise my people. No longer are they as a nation in their sight. But here's God's response. Thus says the Lord, if my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, and he has it's much like what we read in Jeremiah 31, 36. If the fixed order that God has in, in making the earth revolve around the sun and giving the moon and the stars and all those things a place, if that ever departs, then God will depart from having Israel as a nation. And so he's saying the same thing using different words, just as God has day and night and it continues and continues and continues, so Israel will continue as a nation before me. But God said, if that were not true, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not the case. I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Now, that's a word of prophecy, and it's never been fulfilled. But just as all 333 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were literally actually fulfilled, so will all the prophecies be fulfilled for the second coming. Now look again at verse 23 here in Romans 11. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And to illustrate the logic of this coming restoration, he says in verse 24, for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, I'm not a horticulturist, I'm a biblicist, but it's times as, a, as someone who studies the Bible, I have to study horticulture because God uses many times illustrations from that realm. And if you know anything about grafting trees, it's usually done when a farmer takes a good branch and he grafts it into a wild tree, hoping that the good branch will overtake the wild tree. But a farmer never takes a wild branch 
and grafts it into a good tree because the result would not be accomplished for which he is looking. But Paul is reasoning here that is precisely what God did. God took the wild, unnatural Gentiles and he grafted them into the cultivated olive tree, namely Israel. God grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. And his point in the allegory is that if God can do the harder, impossible thing, taking a wild olive tree and grafting it into a natural tree, then God can do the easier thing, taking a hard, obstinate, resistant Jew and bring him back into the olive tree. So there's a word of promise and there's a word of warning. The word of warning he's already stated very similar to verses 17 to 21. The warning is that if the natural branches could be broken off, so can't the unnatural branches be broken off. But there's also a word of promise for the Jewish people that God is able to bring them back in. And so God, by his power, can take a hard, Christ-hating, resistant Jew and make him a Jew for Jesus. Now, it's tempting to think when you go to Israel and you see such a religious place, and people deeply committed to their beliefs that they would ever believe in the Lord Jesus. And I suppose the Jews in the Old Testament era would be tempted to think the same way of those polytheistic Gentiles, those who worshiped the multiplicity of God, who rejected what was known and made known to man, that there was only one God and they suppressed it and they worshiped idols. It would be easy for them to think it's impossible for these Gentiles ever to come to genuine faith. But God can save a Gentile and God can save a Jew. Now let's read verse 24 one more time with this logically implied answer. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, that's us Gentiles, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, these Jews who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? They will, and when they do, they will flourish. So Paul's first point is that it is in the power of God to restore Israel. Secondly, it is in the purpose of God to restore Israel. It's in God's purpose to restore Israel. Look now, if you will, at verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. The Apostle Paul is telling us here that a partial hardening, not a total, but a partial hardening has happened to Israel. And we've already studied that, have we not? Through the history of the Old Testament, even in the worst times of apostasy, God always had his remnant, like 7,000 who'd not bowed the knee to Baal in Elijah's day. And God had his remnant in Paul's day. There were tens of thousands, not millions you would expect, but tens of thousands of believing Jews. Now, please understand, when God speaks about a hardening, he's not saying, well, you know, I think I'll harden these Jews over here, and then I'll pull something off with the Gentiles, and then later on I'll lift that hardening so that the Jews can believe. No, 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 no. We learned in the ninth chapter that God only hardens a heart in response to a man first hardening his heart towards God. Though nation upon nation may seek to overthrow Israel, It is still God's chosen nation, and God will protect her because He's promised to do so, and God is a keeper of promises. 
to listen to today's message again, use the Search the Scriptures app available for smartphones and tablets, or listen online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM56, entitled The Beginning of the End. Tomorrow we continue our study of the National Section of Romans. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.